So, Shale, a lot of companies make one thing really well, and we know them for this product. Kleenex, WD-40, Zippo lighters. I'm trying to think of some others here. What about that app that only sends Yo to people? Do you remember <laughs> when there was like there was like a week at GTM when we all downloaded Yo and just started Yoing each other constantly? This must have been, was it like 2015, something like that? I was not involved in that, but I do know the Yo app very well. I'm not sure it has the lasting power of Kleenex, though. I mean, look, I think Yo still exists. And I feel like I heard a stat that like they've sent people have sent over 100 million Yo's since it was introduced. So, you know, don't uh, don't discount the Yo. (laughs) Well, there are a ton of other companies with a popular product or maybe a big brand. And it turns out that they make stuff that is way beyond what we know them for. So I'm going to list a few different business areas and brands, and I want you to guess the company's shale. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. This company makes earplugs, ceiling fan remotes, water purifiers, aircraft engines, paper shredders, home backup generators, muck boots. I'm going to stop it there. Maybe I'll give you a hint if you don't get it. Is a, First of all, is a muck boot a rain boot? Or is there a different kind of boot specifically for muck? Our listeners will have to tell us. I don't actually know. <laughs> oh, come on, man. You're, for, you're from New Hampshire. There's a lot of muck there. I feel like that's, that's an answer you should know. Um, I mean, the aircraft engines plus uh, like home electronics makes me think it's GE. No, they make thermostats, one of the world's first thermostats, a very classic thermostat, actually. Honeywell? Yeah, you got it. All right. Two guesses. That's pretty good. Two guesses is excellent. Here's a list of companies, and I want you to tell me what company owns these companies. Dove, Ben & Jerry's, Vaseline, Hellman's Mayonnaise, Slim Fast. Unilever, my friend. Oh, you're good. I am killing it. I knew (laughs) knew the Hellman's Mayonnaise one, actually. I learned recently about... Um, how much mayonnaise gets spoiled along the trucking routes. Uh, There's a long story about why I know about this, but <laughs> it's actually a big issue. Mayonnaise can freeze um, if a truck goes through too cold weather and they lose like millions of dollars a year in mayonnaise as a result sometimes. Nothing worse than frozen mayonnaise. Exactly. <laughs> okay, here's a last one to satisfy your sweet, sweet side. There's a company with the name of a product that everyone knows Along with this product, it also makes Fruities, Dots, Charms Blow Pops, and Junior Mints. What company is it? Oh, uh, the candy conglomerates is a, is a category that my wife would know better than me. It's a chewy candy. A chewy Sour Patch Kids? No, Tootsie Roll Industries. Oh, oh, good for Tootsie Roll. I feel like probably their core product has been somewhat stagnant for the past 70 years. So good, good <laughs> Maybe that that's they why they them. diversified. Yeah. So what if Tootsie Roll decided to make an adhesive for solar panels? Or if the Yo app suddenly became an app for selling cryptocurrency for renewables? Well, coming up, our picks for companies that are making surprising moves into clean tech, pushing them well beyond what we actually know them for. First, by now you probably know that Wonder Capital can finance your commercial or community solar projects, and you know they can do it at lightning speeds. But did you know they now have lower rates and can finance all kinds of projects? Head on over to wondercapital.com slash GTM today to experience the wonder difference. I wonder if they give away 
Tootsie Pops or Tootsie Rolls when you sign a project with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, organic growth for the Tootsie Company. What's it called? Tootsie Roll Company? Tootsie Roll Industries. Tootsie Roll Industries. Well, I hope they never change that name, at least. <laughs> We're also brought to you by PG&E, driving toward a clean transportation future. In most of the U.S., transportation is the largest single source of greenhouse gas emissions. And that's definitely true in California. It's why PG&E is working hard to make it easier for customers to go electric, be it new rebates for your next personal vehicle purchase, or support adding charging stations to a parking lot and electrifying your fleet, PG&E can help individuals, businesses, and cities invest in the right electrified transportation option. Find out more at pge.com slash gtm. This is The Interchange, conversations on the future of energy from Green Tech Media. I'm Stephen Lacey, a contributing editor with GTM. Shail Khan is my co-host. He's managing director at Energy Impact Partners. He's in New York this week. Hello, Shale. Hey, Stephen. Are you over there doing due diligence on the Yo app for possible utility applications? Definitely. There are many, many applications for for Yo within the utility context. Unfortunately, I can't tell you any of them at this point. (laughs) Well, speaking of apps, uh, we got some exciting news. GTM has a brand new iOS app available in the App Store. It's really great. Uh, You can download it for all of our news and insights, and you can listen to this podcast directly on the app. Just search Green Tech Media in the Apple Store. And uh, Android users, we certainly haven't forgotten about you. We're going to have an Android app debuting soon, so stay tuned for that. In March, we replayed an earlier episode about some of the noteworthy pivots in clean tech history. And this week, we're playing around with a variation on that theme. Companies making clean tech plays that are unexpected, either through business strategy, just generally embracing the clean energy transition, or through development of products. We're not talking about oil and gas or mega utility incumbents that are buying up companies. We, we talk about those companies a lot. We're, we're looking at businesses that are making more dramatic crossovers or making moves that are outside of their commonly known areas of business. So where have you been getting inspiration, Shale? When I pose this question, how did you start thinking through it? I guess I was thinking through two different ways to approach this question. One is companies that are incumbent in a relatively established, mature market that is adjacent to you know, one built around the clean energy transition, where if they do nothing, their market may slowly but surely start to erode. And so they out of, uh, you know, being forward thinking or out of necessity, um, make a big move that gets them into the new market. That's sort of category one. Category two uh, would be companies that, you know, don't necessarily need to introduce new products and services to kind of adapt to the new world, but who are out at the forefront, perhaps more than you would think they would be at ensuring that their operations are as close to climate neutral as possible. And especially when that's a big complex challenge and they have a big complex supply chain. Yeah, I was thinking of this in a little bit more of a product way. Uh, I thought about companies that have this consumer brand and we know them well, but behind the scenes, they're these unsung heroes of clean tech product development. So we took a slightly different approach here. So I want to start with your first choice. Who is it? Well, my first one, um, I think is really interesting because there's been a bunch of recent news about them, which is Generac. So Generac, if you're not 
familiar with the residential home backup power market or the CNI backup power market, you might not know Generac, but if you are familiar with that market, you definitely do. They're actually a pretty big player. They're a public company. Um, they make like $2 billion a year. The, a lot of that, about 50% of their market is residential backup power, right? So largely sort of diesel primarily based um, backup generators for, for residential and small commercial applications. Um, they're dominant in the residential sector. They have, last I looked, something like a 70% market share of residential backup power. Oh, in, they're that in, big. In North America, yeah. And then they've got you know, a presence in a bunch of other international markets as well. But they're huge. You know, Residential backup power is not a huge market in the US. It's like a $2 billion annual market, roughly. And I think Generac estimated that um, we're at about 4% uh, penetration in terms of addressable households in the US. Now, some other countries actually are higher because they have less reliable power, but also in many of those cases, uh, less ability to pay for backup generation. But in any event, you know, there is like a pretty established market for backup power in the US. And, and what's been notable to me over the past few years, as we've started to see the market pick up for residential energy storage, is that companies like Generac have just not had a role to play in it. And I remember looking a couple of months ago at Generac's annual report in 2018, and there was nary a mention of batteries, nary a mention of uh, energy storage. And so what have they done lately that has changed that? Well, so two things in the past two months, they made two acquisitions. The first one was actually probably the more surprising one, which is they acquired a company called Nurio in May. Nurio is a residential energy management um, and monitoring company. It does disaggregation of load. It does analytics. It does, you know, makes recommendations. You, uh, there's a consumer app that can tell you sort of in, in real time how much in dollar terms you're paying for energy. They've had partnerships through solar installers historically. Um, so they're in the, not in the backup power game at all, but very much in the sort of day to day energy management and analytics world. So, Generac acquired Nurio in May and then followed it up um, just a few weeks ago by acquiring Pica, which is a sort of niche but growing residential energy storage player. They actually make the hardware. They have their proprietary um, energy storage pack that they make. Right. They were they started off as a power electronics like inverter maker, right? And then they expanded into this broader energy storage platform. Right. Right. And um and are, are based in in Maine, among the few clean tech startups that we we've seen come out of Maine. So, um, a nice New England connection for you, Stephen. But um, but yeah, so Generac now owns a residential energy management company and a and a residential storage company. And I think that's interesting because we've been thinking about where this whole you know who owns the customer question goes. Is it utilities? Is it Amazon? Is it Shell? Is it somebody else? Players like Generac are kind of an interesting entrant into that space. I don't know what their ambitions are, and it would make sense for them to just, you know, be playing in storage because it fits really nicely with their backup power business, which they've already got. But the fact that they acquired Nurio too makes me think maybe they have broader ambitions. I like this one, but it does feel like battery storage is very closely aligned with the Generac business model. So it was inevitable that this company got into battery storage at some point. Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe I wouldn't say inevitable, but I think logical for sure. Okay, well, my choice is a company that we know for a lot of different consumer products. Maybe you have some sitting there right on your desk, Shale, 
in your hotel room. I know that I'm using this company's products to hold up the studio foam that I have surrounding me. I'm wondering, do, do you know what this company is? Adhesives? Like Elmer's? No. no. <laughs> 3M. Oh, sure. Sure. 3M. So 3M is this massive company based in the Midwest. They have over 90,000 employees. They have over $30 billion in sales. And they make products, so many different types of products. But the ones that we know are things like masking tape and scotch tape and sandpaper and sticky notes and also these wall hangers that I'm using to hang up foam. What's interesting about this company is that they started in the early 1900s as a mining company, and that didn't really work out. So early in 3M's history, they actually put in place one of the first uh, 15% rules. You know, this is a, a rule made famous by Google. They, they call it the 20% rule, where they allowed engineers and employees to take 20% of their time and work on side projects. So they allowed a lot of their employees to use 15% of their time to come up with new products. And that resulted in the tape products that we know and love today, like masking tape and scotch tape. Then in the 60s, the company branched out and started making board games. They made magnetic tape recorders. It helped build one of the first digital recording studios. And then in 1977, this product comes along that changed our lives. Uh, it initially failed because it was called the Press and Peel. And they went back and adjusted their marketing, relaunched it, and it became the Post-it Note. I thought you were going to say Velcro. The Post-it Note changed our lives. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm not going to name the person, but do you remember the, the person at GTM whose entire life existed on Post-it Notes and it ended up looking like a beautiful mind in his office? He would just have Post-it Notes on top of Post-it Notes on top of Post-it Notes in the office all over the walls. I do not. But I remember the first time I came into the GTM office, one of our first offices, and I walked into the bathroom and there was a post-it note above the light switch. And it said, every time you leave the light on, Stephen Lacey dies a little. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that as well. Yeah. It's many, many uses for a good post-it note. Well, post-it notes changed my life because I use them constantly. I have lists hanging all around me with post-it notes of the things that I need to do each day. Uh, but, you know... Post-it notes are just a footnote in 3M's history because they focus on pharmaceuticals, film, storage, printing products. And a lot of these businesses have morphed into different areas of the company or they were sold off. Around the 2006 timeframe, 3M started spinning off a lot of these uh, areas of their company. But at this point, 3M has already built up a division with electrical products for like insulating and sealing. And they have a power generation division. And in 2009, 3M launches a new division focused on renewable energy, and it goes big. Well, I guess, Shale, it depends on how big you think protective coatings and dry layup adhesives are. <laughs> Huge, Stephen. Huge. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I find these companies um, like this that have managed to sort of ride, either create or ride whatever trend um, is occurring in the kind of industrial world for like a century or more fascinating companies like DuPont and Dow sort of fit in this category as well. Both of which also have at various times done various things in, in renewables, uh, you know, similar to 3M. Like if, if you can identify, invest in, and then build a real business out of the thing that's going to drive 
a lot of spending, you know, billions or trillions of dollars of spending for decades to come, then and and you're the type of company that can have that kind of lasting power, then it can ride you through the next big, you know, the next couple of economic cycles. So I, I find not it doesn't always work, right? Like Dow tried to do it with the early roof integrated solar, you know, pre uh, pre Tesla getting into it. And that was sort of a long, I'd say largely failed experiment for them. So it doesn't always work, but, um, I think it's fascinating to, to watch. Yeah. Dow and DuPont were definitely on my list because they are hugely important for developing materials for solar manufacturing. And 3M is a leader here. It's pouring a ton of money into like developing dielectric tapes and films and coatings for solar manufacturing. It's a leading supplier to the solar industry, but it's not just that, you know, these are products that are I think fairly boring for a lot of people, even though they're foundational for dropping the cost of solar and shaving pennies off of solar production. Uh, But it's developing this new solar window film with Mitsubishi. It makes these little vortex generators that stick onto wind turbine blades, and they basically make the wind more even across the blade. They have a mirror film that's featured on a lot of prominent concentrating solar power projects. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not just renewable energy either. 3M makes electrolytes um, and films and stuff for batteries, for fuel cells. Like They're playing the, the broader energy transition. To me, the salient question is, are they recognizing, are they early in recognizing a trend and getting out in front of it? Um, or are they just, you know, riding on the back of customer demand for something new? Not that it necessarily makes a huge, you know, are they a leader or a fast follower, I guess, is the question there. I'm not sure it really matters in terms of their success, ultimately. But if we're start trying to, like, give them a lot of credit for this transformation in their business or this new line of business. I think that's to me the way that I would define whether they deserve a lot of credit or whether they've just kind of like been pulled into this space. So there's a healthy mix of vision and following the money. I will say that uh, 3M, for example, and a lot of other corporates have signed on to this 100% renewable electricity goal. And they've 3M's developed a program to discount solar for employees. So feels to me like they are trying to walk the walk and that there is a bit of an environmental bent to this. Yeah, walking the walk is actually more a lot closer related to my second company that I came up with, which is a company that's not necessarily introducing new products as a result of the energy transition or pivoting its business model in any significant fashion, but one that I think should be held up as an example of a company that um, recognized climate change early, recognized its own impact on climate change, and has invested in a variety of ways into reducing its own impact on greenhouse gas emissions and supporting the sort of fledgling industry of clean energy technologies that has come up around it. And we are going to hear what that company is that is coming right up first. We've been telling you for a while now that Wonder can finance your commercial solar projects, but what does that actually mean? For instance, can they support community solar projects with 100% residential offtake in upstate New York? Well, yes, they can. How about projects in Hawaii with a storage component? Absolutely. Massachusetts Smart Projects? You got it. California CCAs? No problem. Let's be honest, there is no such thing as a vanilla commercial-scale solar project. There are many different flavors, and Wonder Capital is able to serve them all. They will understand your unique project for what it truly is, financeable and delicious. WonderCapital.com GTM is where you need to go to find out more. Wonder Capital, powering the commercial solar industry. 
We're also brought to you by PG&E. And now, right now, is the time to begin electrifying your fleet of vehicles. If you're in PG&E service territory, you can take advantage of limited time incentives. You can get educated, gain access, make the smart choice to take your fleet electric. Everyone else is doing it. Why not you? Once you make the choice, you don't have to go it alone. PG&E is here to help. They provide financial, logistical, construction support for all the infrastructure needed to charge a customer's fleet. Get in touch with one of their EV specialists to learn more or head on over to pge.com slash gtm. All right. Uh, so my second pick is Walmart. Ah, interesting. Yeah. You know, I've actually been meaning to talk about Walmart uh, on this podcast for a while. And so this is my excuse. I, I think Walmart deserves a lot of credit for um, its role in the development of the clean energy market and for how far it's pushing forward on on climate change mitigation now. Uh, some folks will know part of this story at least, but, you know, short version. So historically, Walmart actually was an early, the, the Walton family in particular, um, they they were big backers of First Solar in the early days and sort of kept First Solar going through a long period of R&D and losing money and, and so on. So the Walton family um, goes back quite a ways on, on support of the clean energy market. But Walmart as a company um, was also the earliest really major commercial solar customer. Um, they were, they became a, a leader in onsite procurement. They would put solar up on the rooftops of Walmart facilities early. They were one of solar city's biggest customers. I think solar city's biggest commercial solar customer by now they have contracts in place for over 130 new solar and wind projects that are generating like over 2 billion kilowatt hours um, annually, that, that's three big offsite procurements that they've made more recently as that market has picked up, but it also brings them up to nearly 500 onsite installations. Um, they had a goal to get to 500 by 2020. They're going to be way ahead of that by that point. So they, you know, first of all, are a leader in actually like adding renewable energy to their own facilities. Well, for those who do not follow the corporate sustainability or corporate renewable energy space that closely, this could come as a surprise. But I was unsurprised to hear this pick because Walmart has been ahead of the game for a long time. They're one of the first companies to put in place a pretty ambitious climate goal over 15 years ago now. And they've lived up to their targets and then since built on those targets. Interestingly enough, I'm working on a new podcast series about the history of business disruptions and how companies in the energy industry can learn from them. And we're doing a profile of Walmart. We're going to go deep into the history of how these goals came to be and what they mean for other companies attempting similar things. So stay tuned for that. I'm, I'm going to mention it on a later show when that actually gets dropped. So as a bunch of other corporations have followed along, Walmart is continued to ramp up its goals, which has been interesting to see. Yeah. I mean, I think that, so being an early leader in putting solar on its own facilities uh, was cool. Being an early leader in these big offsite procurements has been cool. But the thing that to me that is actually the most unique about Walmart and that if you saw every large company do, I think it would really make a huge difference is this project Gigaton which I'm sure some folks are familiar with. But basically, Walmart is aiming to um, reduce its, its scope three emissions, which is the emissions driven by its supply chain, by a gigaton. A gigaton is a huge amount 
And, you know, it makes sense because Walmart has a huge supply chain. Um, but what they're doing is they're basically providing all the, the tools and capabilities for all of its suppliers to measure, commit to, and reduce their own emissions impact. They're two years into this program. Um, so they launched it in 2017. They've got over a thousand companies, a thousand suppliers who are now signed on to it. They've estimated that that has so far conserved about 93 million metric tons of emissions through a combination of those suppliers doing energy efficiency, renewable energy, sustainable packaging, a bunch of different things. Um, so they're, you know, they're close to a tenth of the way to the gigaton goal, but the gigaton goal is like very ambitious. Um, and so if they can get anywhere near there, it's really substantial. But the fact that a thousand of their suppliers have signed on and, you know, they, they try to promote those that have, you can go look up Project Gigaton and see all the suppliers that have signed on to it. I mean, with a company that has as much power over its supply chain as Walmart, um, doing something like this is probably the biggest impact that they can have. Oh, for sure. And of course, there's all these other impacts that Walmart and other massive retailers have on the environment. Consumerism, rampant consumerism is at the root of a lot of our environmental problems. But when a company like Walmart flips the switch and asks its suppliers to hit a goal like this, it can have huge reverberating impacts. I have a few runners up, and I'll just go through them quickly and get your reactions. One of them was Dyson. This is the British uh, manufacturer of vacuums and hair dryers and other appliances, and they are looking to develop solid-state batteries with a $1.3 billion investment in R&D and acquisitions. So they want to move into electric car batteries and grid applications, and they seem pretty serious about it. Yeah, I have a Dyson fan, and uh, I wish them the best in this journey to create the f best and first solid-state battery that can be used in vehicles or on the grid. I'm skeptical that they're going to win in that game, but I hope that I hope I'm wrong. My other choice is Caterpillar. So most of us know Caterpillar for this heavy machinery, this yellow heavy machinery, and it's awesome work boots. They have a, a clothing line that you can see on construction sites. Um, those in energy probably know it makes diesel and natural gas engines for all kinds of applications. But in recent years, Caterpillar has invested heavily in renewable energy microgrids. And these uh, CAT microgrids are, uh, they feature solar, energy, battery storage, uh, proprietary monitoring and control systems, and then all sorts of like other gen sets and switch gear that Caterpillar is known for. And they have this big partnership with SunPower as well. Uh, they also offer thin film modules as part of the microgrid. And they participated in a $20 million round a couple years back in this company called PowerHive, which is developing clean microgrids in developing countries. So a surprising entrance by Caterpillar. I think they fall into the same category as Generac, actually. And you could add even others to that. Wartzilla would be another one that falls into that category. Also, sort of in the in the Caterpillar business of, of backup power and remote locations and things like that, they acquired Greensmith, which was one of the early leaders in energy storage integration and software um, at the grid scale. You know, Generac, Greensmith, Wartzilla, they're all in this um, business that has been around for a long time of, of providing power where the grid doesn't exist or where the grid is insufficiently reliable. And we're discovering this new suite of solutions that are available to do that, whether it be just batteries or microgrids or whatever. So it does make sense to me that all those guys would be, you know, coming, finding a play in this, in this new market. My last choice is BlackRock. 
the world's biggest money manager with over $6 trillion in assets. It is also one of the biggest investors in renewable energy. It has multiple renewable energy funds worth billions of dollars. And actually just this month, it said it's investing hundreds of millions more into distributed solar. A lot of people might not know that BlackRock is like the biggest investor in renewable energy or one of the biggest. Yeah. I mean, I would add a couple things about BlackRock that I think are interesting. So they hired Brian Deese, who's a former Obama administration official, and he's their head of sustainable investing. He's done some really interesting things. The most recent one is that they partnered up with Rhodium Group, um, which is run by Trevor Hauser, who we've had on the podcast before, to start baking really granular climate risk analytics into their platform for securities. So if you're, you know, a BlackRock, uh, customer if BlackRock's managing assets for you, you know, increasingly you're going to start to be able to see what the climate driven risk is to the long-term health of those securities, which is an emerging space that I find kind of interesting. I've been spending some time in when you see an asset manager as large as BlackRock doing something like that, that can really start to move the needle on how financial investors think about these assets. And I think that ultimately has a, has a, you know, indirect, but potentially huge impact on where investments occur. And that's going to do it. So we want to know, what would you pick for companies making the crossover to clean tech? What companies did we miss? There are so many out there making similar moves. We want to know the unsung heroes of the energy transition. Are you working for one of those companies? Uh, Send us a message or a tweet on Twitter. In the meantime, find this podcast on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, or anywhere you get your podcast, and send a link and recommendation to a friend and colleague. Shale, I'll hit you up after this show with a yo. Yo. <laughs> with Shale Khan, I'm Stephen Lacey, and this is The Interchange, conversations on the future of energy from Green Tech Media. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>